Our scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus chapters 39 and 40. Listen for a word from God. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. The Israelites had done everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its utensils, its clasps, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the covering of tanned ram skins and the covering of fine leather and the curtain for the screen, the Ark of the Covenant with its poles and the cover, the table with all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the pure lampstand with its lamps set on it and all its utensils and the oil for the light, the golden altar, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar and its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the meeting, for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting, the finely worked vestments for ministering in the holy place, the sacred vestments for the priest Aaron, and the vestments from and the vestments of his sons to serve as priests. The Israelites had done all of the work as the Lord had commanded Moses. When Moses saw that they had done all of the work as the Lord had commanded, he blessed them. Moses did everything just as the Lord had commanded him. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on each stage of their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, before the eyes of all the house of Israel at each stage of their journey. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you all pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to the message you have for us today. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, our daughter Naima will be turning two years old in just over a month, which is crazy. It's gone so fast. But I was talking with a friend um, on the phone the other day who has two older kids, and we were talking about her birthday and then Christmas coming up not long after and these fun celebratory gift-giving occasions, and she said, I'm going to give you some unsolicited advice about gifts and celebrations for young toddlers. She said, beware of assembly-required gifts. She said, they're inevitable, you're going to get some for her, other people are going to give them to her. If you have any chance to, put them together before you wrap them. 
Because on these celebratory days, you know, it's just a recipe for toddler meltdowns and for short fuses for adults. And, and when she opens something and wants to play with it right away, you're not going to have the scissors ready. You're not going to have the right size screwdriver. And you probably won't have the right kind of batteries. And there will be tears. She said, remember, the gift is just the beginning. We are in a season of stewardship here at Fort Street, a season where we think about where we want to go and to be as a church, and we think about the gifts that we all have of time, attention, and money, and service, and how we can contribute to this place. And stewardship is... um, Sometimes a topic that makes people really uncomfortable for a very good reason. Many, many churches do a lot of guilting around particularly the financial side of stewardship. But I hope you know or I hope you will come to know that at Fort Street we really try to take a broader perspective. And we think about stewardship as it's actually defined as a caring, thoughtfully caring and managing and creating together. To be a good steward isn't just about writing a check. To be a good steward is about going out of your way to care for the earth. Being a good steward is about leaving spaces better than you found them. Being a good steward is about managing your own time and mental health well. Being a good steward is about caring for the needs of those around you. So in this three-week series, Pastor Garrett and I are thinking about different aspects of stewardship to share. And last week, Pastor Garrett preached a phenomenal message about gifts and when it's time to stop giving. Now, last week, we, uh, the marathon, the Detroit Marathon, was happening right outside our doors. And so we didn't meet in person. We just worshiped online. If you did not get a chance to hear that message, I invite you to go back and find it on our Facebook page. But the title of Garrett's sermon was, No More Offerings for the Sanctuary a title that could certainly make uh, church finance teams and treasurers squirm a little bit. But the point of the story was this. He looked at the story of Moses in Exodus 36 and what happened with the people as they were building this tabernacle. And according to uh, this chapter, God had given Moses instructions for the people to build this tabernacle and to list out all of the materials they would need. And so Moses tells folks what's required, and they start bringing, and they keep bringing, and eventually they have enough, and then too much. And Moses has to call them together and say, no more gifts for the sanctuary. The extra has caused problems and held up some of the work, and so they had to pause. Stewardship is as much about knowing what and when to give as it is about knowing when to stop giving. And Pastor Garrett reminded us that sometimes we end up giving things that have expired gifts that don't really have a place anymore. So we have to pay attention to the bigger picture to know when it is time to give and what is needed and when it is also time to pause. So today our text is a continuation of that story as the people build this tabernacle. All of the materials that were needed are listed in these chapters. Lacey actually only read a small portion of all that this uh, instructs them to do. 
First, they were told to bring gold and brass and goatskins and oils and spices and pegs for the tent and beautiful cloth and thread and wood. And then there are instructions about how exactly to put these raw materials together to build the tent. These chapters of Exodus read a little bit like an IKEA instruction manual for building some kind of furniture. I'm an expert in this. I, in college, was known as the IKEA expert who would go visit friends around and help them put together their things. But this chapter, or this section of Exodus is actually 13 chapters of description and instructions. It's a part of the Bible that many people skim over or get tired and fall asleep in. But I think it is so much fun. There were a lot of gifts that were required to build the tabernacle. Beautiful, glorious, holy-feeling gifts like pure gold to put over the Ark of the Covenant. And also very ordinary, small, kind of boring-seeming gifts like goat's hair and pegs for the tent. The people gave what they had, they gave what they could, and they were generous. But the gifts themselves were just the beginning. Now the people have this pile of materials, jewelry that has to be melted down, wood that has to be shaped and carved and built into things, thread that has to be torn and put into, woven into new cloth. The gifts were just the beginning. Here come the people now, the workers, the skills and the time and the energy to make something of the materials. And this is such a fun part of Exodus. It tells us that there is a man in this community who starts to head up the construction project. Bezaliel is his name, and he has the skills. Bezaliel knows how to construct the wood. He knows how to work with the metal. He knows how to work with the cloth. So he becomes one of the overseers. And then Exodus tells us that there's another leader that joins him named Aholiab. And it says that Aholiab did not have the skills, but he was willing to learn. And so the two together, Bezaliel and Aholiab, become sort of the, the foreman for this project, and they gather the other women and men in the community, some that have the skills and some that are just willing to learn, and they work to take the raw materials and build them into the tabernacle. They complete it. It is just to the Lord's specifications, and it is glorious. Altogether, this tabernacle was about 45 feet by 15 feet and just had the most detailed, intricate, beautiful items meant for the presence of God. This tent was the place where they were to worship, to offer sacrifices, and where the very presence of God was to dwell. They complete this construction, and they put up the tabernacle, and then it says that the glory of the Lord filled the space. A cloud descended, and they knew that God's very presence was there. It wasn't just in theory or in heart, but God was dwelling with them in the camp, feet on the ground. The gifts were just the beginning. 
there was assembly that was required, and even now with this finished project, the job isn't done. They still have a ways to go on their journey. This part of Exodus happens about a year after they have been released from Egypt and from captivity, and they still have 39 years of wandering to do in the desert. The tabernacle was specifically designed to be folded up and carried so they could take it with them as they journeyed from captivity to the promised land. So the people have to watch. Even after the gift is built, they have a job of watching for the presence of God, of noticing when this cloud is there, when God's glory has filled the tent, and then of noticing when it leaves and when it's time to move on when it's time to try something and somewhere new. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, there are many gifts but one spirit. And we know that to be true for ourselves. Sometimes we are stewards of great, glorious, holy things like gold, and sometimes we are stewards of ordinary-seeming things like tent pegs. Sometimes we're the people who take out the trash. And all of it is so needed. The Israelites in the desert show us how to be good stewards, how to use the wide variety of gifts that we have, and how to see the gifts as just the beginning and to continue to pay attention to what happens after. I have a friend named Susan who is one of my favorite examples of a steward in a church. And Susan is retired. A few years ago, uh, she turned 65 and she retired from her job as a teacher and moved to Nebraska to be closer to her grandkids. She didn't really know anyone else in Nebraska when she um, moved there, and so one of the first things she did was get involved in a church. That was a uh, part of her life that was really important. And so Susan had shared with me that it was hard to get involved in a new church, and she didn't quite know what her place was. She wanted to give, she wanted to contribute, but finances weren't, weren't great. She wasn't sure how much she could give, and so she thought, I'll volunteer. I, I know how to volunteer my time, and maybe that's how I'll get involved in this church. Well, everyone assumed that she would teach Sunday school because she was a retired teacher, and she said to me, Sarah, I've been writing lesson plans for 42 years. I am done teaching. I said, fair enough, fair enough. And so she wasn't quite sure where to volunteer or what her role was. So she decided to just be there for a while. She went on Sundays, she got to know folks in the congregation, and she was just present. After a while, she uh, decided to join a knitting and sewing group on Wednesday mornings. And Susan connected with some of the other uh, women in the congregation who would meet to do those things during the week. And she did not go in knowing how to knit or to sew very well. She had done a little as a kid, but really was a new thing for her. But she thought, this is a great chance for community. They'll teach me. It'll be fun. So she joined this group, and she did have a great year. She, she uh, learned how to knit and sew much better. She was with them for about a year. And then one Sunday, she was talking with a family in the congregation, and the teenage daughter said, I want to learn how to knit and sew. She said, oh, well, you should be a part of the group. And the girl said, well, I'm in school on Wednesday mornings. 
And so Susan said, let's start a new one. Invite any friends that you have. We'll do one on Wednesday afternoons after school. So Susan started hosting this knitting and sewing group, and pretty soon she had 22 teenagers there with her learning how to knit and to sew. They had such a fabulous time. Other adults from the congregation ended up joining them, and they just had a wonderful time. And then one day, one of the, the young boys that was part of the group came up, and he said, I, I've already made scarves for all my family. I don't know what to do next. Do you know anyone else that needs a scarf or a hat or something? Those are my two specialties. And Susan said, let me, let me think about it. The next week, she came back with some suggestions for the group, and they voted together to partner with two organizations. One local hospital that needed specialty-made hats for premature babies, and one refugee support program that needed winter clothes for Omaha and, um, and help with other sewing projects for folks that were new to the country. So the teenagers voted to support these two things and started working with their time together as a knitting and sewing group to help other people. Susan began as a steward, not quite knowing what her gifts were or what her talents were. She was willing to learn a new skill, and then she was willing to listen to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God speaking through a young teenager saying, I'm interested in that. And the Spirit of God saying, maybe this cloud is moving for you all to help others with your time and your talents. Susan is one of my stewardship heroes because she's willing to follow this model of the Israelites building a tabernacle as she pays attention to where God's gifts are and where they are moving. Stewardship is a journey, and the gifts are just the beginning. As we reflect in this season of stewardship, it's not just about what we have in this moment. It's about how we can shape what we have collectively to build a space where God's presence can be felt by everyone. And then to pay attention to that cloud of mystery, that spirit of God for where the energy is and where it shifts so that we know when it's time to move and to try new things and to follow. Fort Street, where will you be a steward in this season? Will you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for the variety of gifts that you give us, for the gold and the tent pegs and everything in between. God, allow us to contribute not just the gift, but our very presence and our connection with each other. Bless us as we seek to be your people in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.